Fresh episode of Fish Bites. It's Eli Sussman here coming to you, believe it or not, at the beginning of the final Marlins homestand of the 2020 season. 15 games over 11 days, a full quarter of their schedule in a single homestand. It makes no sense. It has no precedent. So we are very excited to cover it for you here on the podcast, our website, fishtripes.com, on Twitter, on Instagram, on YouTube. You know where to find us there. And of course, by sending our staff to Little Havana for credentialed coverage of every single game of this situation. In particular, we are honing in on the first half of this homestand, all against the rival Philadelphia Phillies, unlike any other series in franchise history. Seven head-to-head games in five days between two teams that have been close in the standings for most of this shortened season. And I want to be as thorough as possible in previewing this. And so I am overjoyed to be joined by Alex Carr from The Good Fight. He covers the Phillies about as closely as anybody, and he's equally fired up for this series and what it means for both these teams. Alex, it is the second week of September, and the Phillies are in playoff position. How does it feel? It feels pretty good, Eli. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I kind of expected them uh, to be in this position, especially with 16 teams going into the playoffs. You know. And that's not to say I was overly confident or to say that the fan base was underconfident. But I, I, I think this team on paper has always been really, really good. Um, and they really just needed to hit a stride, which they did, you know, last week uh, and the week before that, uh, winning 10 out of 11 and then uh, going on a little bit of a skid. But getting back on, on track uh, was, you know, all they really needed to solidify themselves. Uh, here in, as you said, playoff contention, and, and I'm psyched that I get to witness it. Yeah, you get a little assist. Of course, Marlins fans get an even bigger one from the expanded playoff format this year, the fact that eight teams from the National League, there's a chance that both these teams get in. It's almost certain that one of these teams will get in, and that's a big deal because we have not been here in a long time. For the Phillies, almost a decade. For the Marlins, almost two decades since we've had any October baseball and you tweeted, you know, just a few hours ago, the up- upcoming seven-game series with the infamous Miami Marlins will quite literally define the Phillies' season. It's a big deal, and uh, that's why I have gotten to labeling this, like, looking forward to this series as its own pseudo-playoff series in itself, a playoff before the playoff, 2020 Marlins-Phillies Championship Series, the MPCS <laughs> How's that sound? Like, got to take it seriously. <laughs> There's so much on the line. Oh, we're absolutely. Using, I mean, this is an acronym the same way you would with an actual playoff series. Yeah, this is as important as, I mean, this is more important, I mean, than any other series that the Phillies, and I don't know about the Marlins, but probably the Marlins uh, have had all year. I mean, I dubbed uh, the Phillies' last series with the Braves as probably their most important uh, of the season thus far. But, I mean, this, this seven-game series, how it's shaped out is 100%. It is unquestionably the most important series of either of our team's uh, seasons. So this, this will really make it or break it uh, for both of us. And, you know, one team has the chance to really bury the other or, uh, you know, they might split it up in, in you know, a, a semi-equal way. Uh, who's to say? Uh, no one knows who's going to come out on top. But I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to it. 
primarily just from a an en- entertainment perspective. Uh, it's you know these teams are going to be scratching and clawing with everything they've got, and uh, I think there's been a little complacency on the Phillies' part uh, in the past when facing the Marlins, and uh, you know hopefully they don't underestimate them this time. And uh, same can be said for the Marlins. I think the Marlins feel really really good when they play the Phillies. Uh, it's an exciting team. It's a team of guys that are obviously close, um, or at least the core of them are at least. Uh, but they're they're obviously close. They they love cheering each other on, and uh, they're always audible either from the press box or or on the broadcast. So I think I think both teams are coming in with their their fair share of stakes here, uh, and I I think they feel that. So I'm I'm excited to see how this one plays out. Yeah. We're going to start by setting the scene and just reminding people how we got here in the first place. The fact that we have a seven-game series in five days uh, set up by the fact that these teams were supposed to meet in Miami like more than a month ago. And, of course, they originally met opening weekends in Philadelphia, a place where the Phillies – not a great place emotionally for the Phillies or their fans because they lost two or three to the Marlins, and especially that last game of that series where the, the Phillies blew a four-run lead in, in the rubber game of that series – Runners on the corners, one out. Rojas off to a good start these first couple of days. And now sends one in the air to deep left field. Back goes Bruce, and it carries out for a three-run home run for Miguel Rojas. And the reason I say that is because the Marlins have been the topic of conversation. Get up, ball! And he with a drive to right, and it's just enough to get up and out. A three-run home run to the opposite field. And Corey Dickerson with a high drive. Oh, man, what a blast to right field. Corey Dickerson with a home run. His first as a Marlin is a moonshot. And then immediately after that, I mean, both teams' seasons were paused due to COVID-19-related issues, issues that stemmed entirely from the Marlins' clubhouse and their traveling party, but yet due to the proximity and everybody's lack of familiarity with how this virus works and how it was transmitted. The Phillies themselves were put on pause for an entire week of that season, which I imagine was very frustrating, and it was very complicated to know what to expect once they actually resumed to play after that. Uh, But here they are now, a 21-18, and minus four run differential. They're, They're in a very similar spot to where the Marlins are overall, but obviously they came into this year with more established star power, much higher payroll, a little bit more urgency to win. So given where they are right now and what you're seeing from the team right now, how does it compare to the expectations you had on heading into opening day? Understanding that uh, there's always going to be more volatility than ever in this super short season under these unusual circumstances with no fans, with a lot different rules. But overall, how does this team right now compare to how you envisioned it entering this season? You know what? This is actually pretty much where I had them at at this point in the season. Um, I think, you know, to get the harder part of the schedule out of the way first, or I should put that in quotes because, I mean, now it looks like, you know, the Marlins are one of the harder teams that they have to face here in, in, in this final stretch. Uh, but to get the harder part of the schedule out of the way first, I assumed they'd go on a bit of a, uh, a slow start. Uh, and they did in a manner of speaking. Um, and, you know, they, they got the Yankees out of the way. They, uh, you know, faced the Blue Jays for uh, the first time. And 
I thought that series was going to be a mess, and it was uh, just because those those two teams are uh, specifically so filled with uh, some young talent, and uh, they can really catch you by surprise. And based on how the Phillies had been dealing with those teams with young talent that can really catch you by surprise, I wasn't expecting it to be all that great. Uh, but at this point in the season, I, I, I have them uh, – this is pretty much where I had them. Uh, I'm I'm really – thrilled with the way that some guys are playing. I think Reese Hopkins is on an absolute tear, which is great. Uh, and he tends to do that sometimes. Uh, and then, you know, Bryce and JT have both kind of cooled off, uh, which also happens. Uh, some of some of the Phillies hitters tend to be pretty streaky. Um, but I think, uh, you know, especially with, with the, the assists that they've gotten from guys like Didi Gregorius, from guys uh, you know, the one-two punch of Aaron Nolan, Zach Wheeler has been absolutely dynamite. Um, Zach Eflin has been a really nice surprise. Uh, I've been a big fan of his for a really long time, but uh, now it seems that he's really getting some uh, advice from his from the pitching department that has uh, really meshed with him quite well, uh, and he's really putting it together, which is great to see. Um, so, yeah, it, everybody is contributing pretty equally. You know, uh, Bryce and JT really carried – uh, the Phillies through the first kind of half of the schedule, and then they're starting to cool off just as Reese Hoskins is starting to really heat up. And when Reese gets hot, he can carry the whole team by himself on his back. Uh, so, you know, at this point, I'm I'm pretty excited that they've, they've kind of met my expectations, uh, even though my expectations from a Philly fan standpoint might have been a little lofty to begin with, just because I think this team uh, on paper really is just so good. Um, you know, it has its holes, as does every team. But I, I really was a big fan of this team going into the season, and I'm glad they are putting out results that, uh, you know, are are on par with what they should be putting out. This is something that I mentioned to you off-air, you know, right before we started, is that, I mean, the alignment of this series, the fact that it's spread over five different days, uh, from a pitching perspective, it means you need everybody, everybody, every uh, starter or wannabe starter on both teams is going to have to be used in this series at some point, even with the shortened seven inning double headers, those will be on both Friday and on Sunday. Those are seven innings inside nine, but still, I mean, you need, you need everybody from a pitching perspective. You already mentioned Aaron Nolan and everybody, I guess Aaron Nolan is a very familiar face to Marlins fans at this point. He's been in the Phillies rotation, I guess on and off for about the last six years. And of course been a superstar at his very best. So he's, he's already a known commodity, uh, Zach Wheeler was pretty similar considering that he came over from the Mets in that big free agent deal. And then you also touched on Zach Eflin right there. Uh, could you take me through who you would think are are all the other guys that are going to be starting in this series? If you were to guess who the seven starters are going to be from the Phillies, uh, with just a little notes on like how they've done this year and uh, what to expect from them, like leaving aside the ones that we already know about, uh, just the rest of that rotation and uh, how everybody's been doing since the start of the season. Because, of course, the Marlins have not had to face them directly, but now they have a lot of catching up to do, and uh, they're going to be facing them at the most critical time of the year. Totally. So um, we've got Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler, uh, two guys with, you know, mid-two ERAs. Uh, both have been totally dominant. Um, and, I mean, Aaron Nola's had a couple of uh, scuffles here or there, but, I mean, his stuff has looked as good this year as it has ever. I mean, he really has come into his own as a, uh, a front of the rotation kind of guy. And that's really exciting. Uh, as for Zach, I mean, he has been unreal. Uh, the amount of soft contact that he's been able to induce, which is huge uh, for, you know, taking some 
pressure off of his arm and also, uh, you know, to kind of melt him into a pitcher that is going to be successful long-term instead of in the short-term while he has this explosive velocity. Um, but seeing, you know, the performances from both of these guys this year has been insane. Uh, they have both just been so good. Uh, Zach Eflin has kind of made his way to the number three spot in the rotation, uh, which is really interesting. Uh, but his velocity's up. He's he's touching 96 on his sinker. Uh, his sinker is one of the best in the league, I'd go as far as to say. Uh, it really, really moves. Uh, it gets a lot of soft contact and a lot of silly swings and a lot of called strikes, too. He really – some guys just stare at it and they can't pick it up. Uh, it's very – it's funny that I say this, but it's very Jake Arrieta, uh, you know, from 2015 onward. Uh, it's got a lot of similar movement, but he doesn't have the same crossfire motion, which is pretty dangerous. I think, uh, you know, that crossfire motion for Jake Arrieta makes it really hard for him to command his pitches. And Zach Eflin does not have that problem. He is a command first guy and he has been really, really good. He's got five pitches at his disposal, uh, and can really be lights out when he's on. Uh, as for the person I just mentioned, Jake Arrieta, uh, he's probably going to be the number four guy. Uh, I think he actually going to get the first start tomorrow uh so that'll be exciting to see he's coming off of a really really good outing uh you know he struck out i think 10 mets his last time out uh but he got seven really good innings in uh you know only allowed two earned runs uh and he did have a bit of a blow up earlier uh against the braves he only lasted about an inning and a half uh but you know that was his one real uh bad start in air quotes i'm doing air quotes but you can't see me uh that was just one bad start um but other than that he's looked pretty good i mean there's some statistic floating around out there that says if you remove that brave start uh he has uh somewhere in the high threes uh of an era on the year so you know take that with a grain of salt but uh he's he's looked all right he's lost a little velocity but i think he sacrificed it purposely for uh some extra command which is good because he really, really needed that because his command was all over the place. Uh, but I'm actually not dissatisfied with what I've seen from Jake Arrieta this year. I uh, think he's feeling the pressure of a contract year and is uh, on his way to, to having a pretty optimal year for a 33-year-old crossfire pitcher who's lost some velocity. Uh, as for the number five, you're probably going to see Spencer Howard, um, you know, the rookie, huge hype, but hasn't pitched past double-A. Uh, much much like Sixto Sanchez, um, but he is a uh, he is a very very uh, stuff oriented starter. Has some really nasty breaking stuff at his disposal. A changeup that does not quit. Uh, a slider that I really like, uh, and a twelve to six curveball that floats in at like low seventies, which is very Granky esque. But then he can dial the fastball up to you know ninety eight ninety nine. He cuts triple digits a couple times. Not in the major leagues, but, uh, in his, in his minor league, uh, starts. So, you know, he's a really dangerous guy who's really, uh, building on his resume at the moment. Uh, he had a couple of, uh, poor starts to begin the year, uh, but has really settled in, uh, has allowed less than three earned runs in his last three starts, I believe. Um, but his big issue is durability. We're not getting a lot of innings out of him. Uh, he's losing some velocity, uh, as he gets a little bit more tired. Um, but that's to be expected. I mean, this is a guy who was dealing with uh, some shoulder soreness last year and uh, hasn't really had the experience of going, you know, nine, 
nine innings in a, in a start. Uh, as you know, as I mentioned, he's only been in double a, he only pitched about 73 innings in double a last year. So he's working on it. Um, but I do think you might see, uh, you know, a more mature Spencer Howard than, uh, you know, if you had watched him when he first came up, the nerves are gone. Uh, he's really placing his stuff. Well, uh, the velocity's there, the movement is there. So he's, he's been really good as well. Uh, and then at the number six spot, you're probably looking at Vince Velasquez, who uh, turned in five innings of two-run ball yesterday, struck out 10 uh, Red Sox batters, which the Red Sox are a, certainly a major league baseball team at the current moment. But, uh, you know, he was he was pretty good. Uh, he was pretty solid yesterday, uh, especially given what Philly fans have grown to expect from him, which is uh, he, he tends to struggle at times. <laughs> But he's certainly been given his fair opportunity, uh, fair share of chances and opportunities, and uh, he was really good yesterday. So we're hoping to probably see something similar against the Marlins. He did say uh, in some Zoom media availability that the Phillies do tend to underestimate the Marlins uh, at times, but they will not do that this time around. He said uh, that they would crush them. So big talk for a guy that's got a big start <laughs> coming up versus that very team. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see what uh, what comes from him. He his cutter has looked really good. A cutter that he added this year, uh, and his fastball has always, you know, he's been able to dial it up. Ninety five, ninety six, uh, and the curveball actually looks the knuckle curve looks pretty deadly this year. Um, but then again, he's a guy. It's all or nothing. He's either pretty good or he's pretty bad. So uh, <laughs> that's probably who you'll see at number six, and then. Number seven is a tough one. I'm thinking it's probably going to be Ranger Suarez, who's working out of the bullpen right now. Um, but I'm really not entirely sure. Uh, it's either going to be him or it's going to be Damon Jones, uh, who is a uh, very high ceiling uh, lefty that the Phillies have uh, working out at their alternate site right now. Uh, but I, I wouldn't think he's very close to major league ready. He uh, kind of skipped up a whole bunch of levels last year. He, he soared through double A and, and came right to triple A, struggled a little bit, uh, but has some insanely good strikeout stuff, some really good velocity. He's definitely being stretched as a starter uh, as things stand right now, uh, but he's also got that high floor of a really dominant reliever. Uh, so I'm assuming that's the two options. It's either going to be Ranger Suarez or, uh, or Damon Jones, but We'll see. Uh, that is certainly a question mark at the moment. They may just go with a bullpen game, but with the way that our bullpen has been pitching this year as a whole, uh, I would not personally want to see that. But, uh, yeah, that's the rundown on the seven guys that uh, I'd expect to be starting in this series. Um, I think it's going to be a really offense-oriented matchup. I think, uh, you know, the the Marlins definitely have – uh, a solid young rotation. Um, but in, in terms of, you know, they're, they're a, a solid young rotation coming up to face a uh, really tough offense. And, and the Phillies are a kind of more veteran oriented rotation that are uh, coming up to face a young electric small ball offense. Um, and I think it's going to be really tough. Uh, it's, it's, it's really hard to say who's got the edge in this one because it's, it's very, uh, it's neck and neck, I, I would say, uh, especially given the, the Phillies track record versus the Marlins over the last two years has not exactly gone in their favor. So uh, 
Yeah, I mean, there's no, there's no way to sugarcoat that for you, that if you take out the Phillies games over the last three years, the Marlins are arguably the worst team in the National League, and you put in the Phillies games. And I know. It really changes the of everything. I mean, it's I, what I was telling my staff at, at Fish Drives, uh, we're recording this on Wednesday. On, on Tuesday, the Marlins are coming off a pretty emphatic win over the Braves, and uh, it was really the first time that I started to feel like this team actually had a chance to make the playoffs this year. I've, I've been someone that's been pretty pessimistic and uh, pretty skeptical about what they're doing with uh, the inexperienced players that they're doing it with, but uh, coming off a really emphatic win against the Braves, who the Braves are uh, really on that same level as the Phillies in terms of the offensive firepower that they have and the number of ways that they're able to produce runs. So uh, the fact that they were able to win that game the way that they did behind Sixto Sanchez, who we're going to get into him a little bit in a few minutes, uh, the way that he was able to be dominant for really the fourth straight outing to begin his career, that was something that even uh, blew my mind and made me more confident than I would have been getting into this series. Uh, you did reference the bullpen, and I think for both of these teams, it's a very questionable situation. I mean, for the Marlins, they have a lot of guys that uh, they picked up off the trash heap uh, a month ago when their regulars went down with COVID, and uh, the ones that they picked up uh, have been hit or miss. Some of them have been great, but also have very mixed track records. And others are like finally coming back from uh, the virus. And even though uh, they're fully uh, uh, like at full strength physically, they're still rusty. And you don't know exactly whether to expect them to be their old selves or not. So uh, it's, it's a lot of question marks in terms of uh, trying to distinguish between the names on the jerseys versus the actual performance that these guys are going to give us. Uh, and with the Phillies, it's it's been interesting um, because I guess one thing that I held against the Marlins is they didn't really make any move at the deadline itself to continue acquiring reliever help. Uh, relievers were pretty expensive at this trade deadline, uh, but the Phillies, uh, they made a number of moves in order to to add veteran relievers to to their situation. They've had some struggles with that before the deadline, and uh, some of the new pieces I know have had mixed results since they arrived here. So could you give us a rundown on who the new guys are in the bullpen and uh, how you feel about them, how much you trust them heading into the series? Sure. So uh, there's four, uh, four lovely new faces. Uh, first one they went out and got was David Hale uh, from the Yankees, who had been designated for assignment. Uh, didn't particularly agree with that trade at the time and still don't. Uh, then again, Hale has only had two appearances for the Phillies. He's kind of the mop-up guy, uh, you know, just in case a game gets away from them, he can pitch, you know, two, three innings. Uh, of actually really solid relief ball. Uh, I, I have been really impressed with, with what I've seen from him so far, but we've seen very little. Um, but as for, uh, you know, his his effectiveness, I don't think you'll really be seeing him in high leverage spots or, uh, you know, middle relief innings at all. Uh, he's just, like I said, one of those mop-up guys. Uh, but that trade originated by the Phillies dealing one of their uh, younger arms who was going to be Rule 5 eligible. Uh, this upcoming offseason, uh, and that was Addison Russ. So they kind of traded uh, upside for something proven, I guess. I know I don't know. I really didn't agree with that one at the time. Hale is a guy that you could have claimed off waivers. You could have just waited for him to come your way. Uh, you know, he's been DFA'd by the Yankees three times in his career. Uh, it it just didn't make a lot of sense. But he's been fine uh, for the team, which which I guess I'm okay with. So uh, that's where I stand on that one. But as for uh, the trade they made with the Red Sox, they uh, they got Heath Hembry and Brandon Workman. Uh, 
they uh, traded Connor Siebold and Nick Pavetta, the infamous Nick Pavetta, uh, for, for those two guys. Um, I was pretty okay with that trade, actually. Connor Siebold uh, is one of those guys, he's a low stuff, uh, you know, back-end starter type uh, with really good command. Uh, I really wish they'd hung on to him because it's never too bad to have too much pitching depth. But he was another guy that was Rule 5 eligible this upcoming year. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. Uh, you got to give up to get, I suppose. Uh, so they definitely gave up. Uh, but then Nick Pavetta was a guy, you know, he was almost out of minor league options. He was obviously not going to succeed in Philadelphia, so they, they had to cut him loose. And uh, they did so by getting some value out of him. So I'm I'm okay with that. Uh, as for the, the relievers themselves, Hembry has had a lot of trouble with limiting uh, home runs. Uh, he has given up, I think, four or five home runs uh, in his five innings pitch, five or so innings pitch. Um, and he gave up another run last night. Uh, you know, he is a guy that I look at and I see a lot of upside. Uh, he's got good stuff. He's got decent velocity. Um, you know, a fastball that touches 96, 97. He touched 99 yesterday, I think, which was way out of the ordinary for him. Uh, but, you know, he, he can dial it up at times. Uh, he's got a, a, a nice breaking ball that he, uh, you know, commands well. Um, and he made a really good first impression, but after that, it was it was all downhill. That said, uh, I don't think that's going to be a normal thing for him. Uh, he was really, really good with the Red Sox until the Phillies kind of ate him alive uh, when they saw him in that first doubleheader they had with the Red Sox. Um, but I think I think he'll start to settle in uh, in this last half of the season. Um, and as for Workman, I mean, Workman is allowing a lot of runners on base. I mean, he's walking some guys struggling with command. Uh, he's He's definitely placing everything a bit too far up uh, at this current moment in time. So, uh, you know, his curveball is sitting up, his, his cutter's sitting up, and his fastball's sitting up. But um, he's been pretty good. I mean, in, in save situations, he's – I don't know if he's even blown one yet. I don't have the numbers in front of me. Um, but he, he has been pretty solid. Um, and he's definitely, over these last two innings, I mean, he's had two really clean outings uh, in a row thus far. So he seems to be like the go-to closer uh, at the current moment in time. And uh, I can't complain about it. He, he's been pretty good. Uh, you know, last year was obviously his best year ever. Uh, had the lowest uh, opponent's batting average uh, of all time for a pitcher that's pitched more than 70-plus innings. Uh, so that was pretty cool. Uh, and to get him, uh, you know, when this team is so dead set on making a playoff push, I think is – it's a big deal. So if he can kind of keep keep on uh, keep on doing what he's been doing uh, these last couple of outings, I think he'll be really really effective, uh, especially in this series. Uh, and then the last one they got was uh, David Phelps, who Joe Girardi had some familiarity with, um, and he's a guy that uh, is coming back from Tommy John surgery, but has been one of the most well when he was traded, he was one of the most dominant relievers of the year. I mean, he his savant page was you know exploding with with red color uh which is which is a good sign um but yeah he's been really good at limiting uh hard contact uh or he was prior to coming to the phillies uh and was striking out his fair share of guys he was he was doing really well with commanding his stuff and and uh and striking out many of the batters that he was facing unfortunately upon coming to philadelphia he has allowed two home runs two big home runs um and has uh been struggling to say the least. Uh, he, he has definitely not been commanding the ball like he was in Milwaukee. Um, and he's been, you know, uh, 
not the lockdown seventh inning guy that I really expected him to be. But that said, they really did not give up a whole lot for him uh, in terms of proven talent. Uh, they gave up three lottery tickets, um, guys whose names I, I don't exactly have in front of me. That's how kind of obscure they were because um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a pretty devout minor league, uh, you know, minor league baseball follower in general. Uh, I follow a lot of, you know, the top prospects around the league. And these guys were, you know, I had their scouting reports come across my desk maybe once uh, ever, which was kind of crazy. Um, but, uh, you know, it's one of those situations where the, the Brewers definitely uh, put all their chips on on uh, quantity and, and on upside. Uh, it was very similar to what they did when they traded Adam Lind all those years ago. Uh, and they got Freddie Peralta in that deal. So, you know, that's, uh, you take that for what it's worth. But, you know, they, they gave up three lottery tickets for uh, a, a really well-proven reliever uh, with a cheap team option for next year that I expect the club to pick up no matter how bad Phelps is uh, for the remainder of the year. Because I think Phelps is that good. Um, he's had a lot of really, really strong seasons uh, in his career, in his long career. Uh, and many of them were with very competitive teams. So I'm I'm really excited to have him. Uh, I think he is going to start coming back down to earth a little bit um, for better and for worse. Uh, he might, you know, start letting up a few more hits here and there, but I don't think, you know, the home runs he's been allowing are, are going to be a, an, an issue that proliferates. Uh, and I think he's going to be that, that go-to seventh inning guy uh, that will bridge the gap between Hector Neris and Brandon Workman. Uh, so, yeah, those those are the four guys they went out and acquired. Uh, all things considered, they didn't give up a lot, uh, and they they brought in a lot of really good relief talent. Uh, and I'm excited about that. I think the uh, you got to give Matt Klentak some credit where it is due. Uh, he really did a good job of kind of shoring up the uh, the weakest part of the Phillies game, um, and he did it well. He he did it cost effectively, and he. Stayed under the luxury tax, which the Phillies have been so adamant about doing. Uh, but as somebody who looks more long-term than short-term, I understand why they're trying to do that, uh, especially in a year where there's so much uncertainty. So, uh, yeah, those are those are the guys and those who are names that you should probably expect to see a lot in this series. Uh, there's going to be a lot of high-leverage situations, I'm sure, and those four guys are going to probably be the go-to names. Well, David Phelps is an old friend to Marlins fans. He was actually pretty good. That's true. I think it was parts of three seasons, either two or three. Uh, What was fascinating is that they traded him to the Mariners three years ago in a deadline deal, and they got back. It was a very similar deal where they got back four guys, uh, four lottery ticket prospects. Three of them have since washed out of the Marlins organization, and I think a couple actually have washed out of affiliated ball completely. And the fourth one is <laughs> Pablo Lopez, who is who is having a great Well, there you season. go. And uh, he, as soon as he came over, actually, he continued to struggle right after he came over in the trade. But then uh, the 2018 season, he took an enormous leap forward, and he was up in the bigs uh, the following summer. So that was one that, yeah, it was very similar, where it was it did not get a lot of attention. It was technically under the old regime here in, in Miami. It wasn't under the current ownership that the rebuild is getting so much positive attention for what the new ownership has done, but that was actually a sneaky good move that they made under the previous one. And so, yeah, it'll be interesting to have him back because he pitched well when he was in Miami. And then almost as soon as they traded him, that was his initial elbow injury. I mean, he basically right. blew out his elbow I, within a couple of weeks, I think of going to the Mariners and the Mariners were trying to contend that year. 
I mean, unfortunately, they didn't have the luxury of an expanded playoff field. I mean, they really needed him to be at his best. And uh, unfortunately, just terrible luck with that situation. But it was, I, I studied up on him too. I mean, everything you're saying about how well he was pitching, it surprised me too. He was a guy that uh, a couple of days prior to the deadline, it was pretty obvious to me that the Marlins, uh, I mean, all the rumors were out there that the Marlins were also shopping for relievers at the right price. And he was a guy that I was stunned by how amazing he had been in, with the Brewers. I felt like that had gone under the radar, but you're right. The peripherals were off the charts and the actual pitch data was really impressive for a guy that is now, as you said, pretty far along in his career, but still throwing it well. So yeah, there's nowhere to go, but up from where he's been like the last few weeks, the past few days, and the last few outings. So yeah, I'm sure he's a guy that deserves to still get big opportunities, uh, but we're going to shift to a player that you're uh, more enthusiastic about and more, <laughs> you have more trust in that would have to be uh, your rookie infielder, Alex Bohm. Uh, who was, I guess, along with Spencer Howard, those guys have been the consensus top two prospects in the Phillies organization ever since you traded away 6-0. Those guys have, have been there, and now it's their time to step into really significant roles on Major League roster. You mentioned that uh, Howard is like progressing in a nice direction, although his overall results are a little mixed. Uh, w- with Bohm, I mean, he's... I guess I'll just turn it over to you to explain the kind of role that he has on this team. Uh, I know that he very recently had a really dramatic walk-off win over the Red Sox, uh, what, down to the <laughs> strike the Phillies were, and he came through in yep. that situation. And the pitch coming. And a line drive, base hit, it's a left field. One run is in, here comes Dede. The throw to the plate is not in time! The Phillies once again come from behind and win it. They do so in the bottom of the seventh inning, and they're jumping all over Alec Bohm. The rookie comes through again. So he's someone that I guess a lot of casual fans may be familiar with because he went towards the very, very top of the 2018 draft. Um, I remember at that time some comparisons to a poor man's Chris Bryant and having some of the similar skill sets there. Uh, but I'll just let you take it from here. Uh, when he got called up to this team and what to what we're going to see from him and what we should be worried about in facing him. Yeah, so uh, there's a lot to be worried about. I mean, this guy, I, I have been following Alex since his uh, introduction into the organization. And the one thing that, you know, is always seems to come up in his scouting report, uh, whether it's from me or from other people that I work with, um, you know, is that he just has one of the most mature approaches at the plate. And that is just so obvious when, <laughs> when you watch him play. Uh, I mean, he does not swing and miss a lot, um, which is to be expected from a rookie. You'd expect, you know, some guy that's green to the major leagues is, is going to swing it, you know, all these pitches outside of the strike zone because they're, they're just going to fool him and he's not used to movement like this. No, I mean, no. He has been very, very mature at the plate, uh, which is just ex- – it is exceedingly impressive to watch him work. Um, and I, I say that because, you know, I'm so used to watching our, our rookie bats flail uh, at so many pitches off the plate. You know, Scott Kingery, when he first came up, had a pretty awful uh, – still has a pretty awful reputation to, to swing and to, to miss. Um, but Alec has not had that issue in the slightest. Uh, he's had a couple of multi-strikeout games where he's just not seeing the ball as well, uh, you know, as as he wants to. And, you know, then he comes back the next day with a three-hit game. So uh, 
he really is. He is the real deal. He's the best Phillies prospect, Phillies offensive prospect, at least, that I've seen come up uh, in quite some time, uh, at least that that is homegrown. Um, but, yeah, what you get with him is a, a very mature plate approach, some insane raw power. We're talking about a six-foot-five guy that works mostly in his lower half, um, you know, can generate an absurd amount of raw power. Uh, hasn't quite harnessed it yet, but will definitely get there. Uh, you know, this is a guy that you're looking at that's probably going to hit 25 to 30 home runs every year, uh, and he's going to hit, most importantly, for average. Um, and I'm not a batting average guy, but, you know, Alec is one of those hitters that just wants to put the ball in play. Uh, so he settles a lot of times uh, for, you know, singles the opposite way. Uh, he doesn't really pull the ball a lot. He's a stray hitter uh, through and through. That is 100% his philosophy. But he also hits the ball really hard. Uh, he puts a lot of power into that swing, um, and he's got a really quick bat. He's got quick hands, um, and he really just somehow generates power no matter where he's going. I mean, when he first came up, I think it was 15 of his first 30-some batted balls were at 100-plus miles an hour. I mean, he really can smoke the ball. Um, and most of the time you're going to see that for, uh, you know, either gap doubles or, uh, you know, maybe a double down the line here and there. But primarily he's been hitting a lot of singles um, in his, you know, initial season here. Um, and I'm not going to complain about that because the Phillies really, really need, uh, you know, a, a consistent bat that is always ready to drive the run home by any means necessary. And that is what they've found in Alec. And that is pretty huge. Uh, the shortcomings that he has, however, are his defense, um, as I'm sure. Many people know at this point, uh, he is not exactly the most adept defender. Um, he has been pretty replacement level, uh, if I'm honest, thus far. Uh, he had a really bad three-error game. I think it was against the Braves. Um, but then since then has, has come back to be really, really good. Um, you know, he doesn't have the best range, uh, but he has a very good arm that if it doesn't work at third base, it will certainly work in left field. Uh, and he's, you know, he's he's working on it. He is... The one thing that I will say about him, having you know spoken to him a few times and getting to to observe him uh, all the time, uh, he's a workhorse. He's the first guy out on the field. He is constantly, constantly working at getting better uh, at everything, not just at his defense, but you know being a better hitter, being a better uh, you know just having a better mind for the game, being better on the base path. He's always working, and that is really exciting to see because that's something that you can't teach. Um, and so you know. Overall, the, the too long don't read on this guy is that you're looking at a contact first guy with pretty incredible raw power. So don't give him anything, you know, right down the middle. Um, and, you know, a guy that's going to spray the ball every which way. Uh, he loves big moments, as we've seen. He's, you know, walked the Phillies off twice now, I believe. Um, and he is he is consistently just, you know, he, he's clutch. He just is. Uh, that's who he is. And, uh, you know, he's also a guy that, that is going to tax your pitcher. You know, he puts up really long, really quality at bats. Uh, and, you know, that's that's all you can really ask for, especially from a 24-year-old who is new to the big leagues. Uh, and, yeah, he's he's got his shortcomings on his defense, but primarily you're going to see this guy, uh, you know, hopefully batting a little further up in the lineup. He has been batting, uh, you know, in the 7th, 6th, 7th, 8th range uh, in his first few months or I shouldn't say months, it's been only a month and a half. Not even that for him. Gosh, this season is weird. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, in, in, in his first few, uh, first few games, I'll say, I think he's played around 20 some. Uh, mm-hmm. so, you know, he, he is one of those guys that he's going to be really annoying for the NL East for, uh, for many years to come. Uh, and like you said, very, uh, Chris Bryant, like, I would say a lot less, uh, on the proven power side, but a lot more on the contact side. Uh, and he's definitely not as good as a defender. He's, he's, more of a uh, probably a, a Troy Gloss uh, at third base, and I say that just because he's he's got that huge frame, that six foot five frame, uh, which is it's tough to get down and make those really really clutch third baseman plays when you're so tall. Um, so you know he, he's got a shortcoming when it comes to defense, but as for everything else, he has been everything that the Phillies expected him to be and more. Uh, so he's he's going to be a thorn in in your guys' side. I'm not going to lie, he's he's pretty good. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure Marlins fans are a little jealous because uh, there's been a lot going right this season, um, particularly on the pitching side. But uh, they've been relying so much on their on their hitting prospects as well to like plug holes in the lineup and tr- trying to give these guys every chance to establish themselves as like everyday regulars. But uh, I, the first one up a month ago was Monte Harrison, who has all the tools in the world, but he just couldn't put the bat on the ball. He was striking out 50% of the time, like literally striking out 50% of the time, and they had to send him down, and he just got called back up recently. But in like a more reserved role, they went to Jesus Sanchez, who was another consensus top 100 MLB prospect. And uh, he was a little bit better, but it's still uh, one for 22, one for 23 to start his career. And you just can't keep playing that every single day. If he doesn't have his the right approach, they had to send him back down. They called up Lewin Diaz, who was another uh, a first baseman that they felt who so Craig Mitch loves. Yeah. I know he loves Lewin Diaz. Yep. Well, so did I personally. I mean, after this, after the 2019 season, he went to the Dominican Winter League. He won Rookie of the Year in the Dominican Winter League. He was invited to Major League Spring Training. He lit it up in spring training. They thought he was completely ready, even though he was he has to skip like so many prospects this year. He had to skip AAA entirely. Didn't have any experience there, right. and uh, at, and he just got sent down a couple of days ago too. Like his defense is he's kind of the opposite of Bohm at this moment. His defense was incredible. Like he already showed. Uh, everything you want from a, a first baseman defensively, uh, but he just he's not barreling the ball whatsoever. He was getting underneath everything, and uh, I, I can't even remember his he was doing. To, overall, he just wasn't getting it done, and they had to send him down a couple of days ago as, as well. So it's been frustrating uh, where they've been giving a lot of really dynamic guys opportunities. The, mo- the most recent one is now Jazz Chisholm, who was uh, another really highly regarded prospect that they acquired a year ago. And same thing with Lewin. He had to skip AAA this year, but by all accounts, he was lighting it up in, at the alternate training site. And he's uh, he's been playing um, – he's kind of been in a platoon role right now where he's starting against most right-handers. But as of this recording, he's got one hit in like a week and a half, and it's only a matter of time before it, it, facing these critical games. I'm not sure if he's going to be on the roster for this entire se- series because, yeah, the production just hasn't been there. It's been uh, – it's always so unpredictable. You know, uh, like you've already mentioned that I know you're really fixated on the minor league side of this. And that's something that we're all missing this year, not having those games to follow and that progress to keep track of. But uh, once those guys actually get called up in the big leagues, it's so, it's so unpredictable, like how those guys are going to translate once they finally get that call up. And, uh, and also the timing of it, you know, like how soon they're going to realize their full potential because it's a really inexact science. Right. And that's, I mean, that's also kind of the, uh, the, 
vice when it comes to, you know, rebuilds and things like that. And speaking from experience, I know uh, it can be really hard. Uh, the the one gripe that I had with the Marlins rebuild, uh, I said this to you up air, I pay a lot of attention to the Marlins. Uh, I've got a whole side of the family that are big Marlins fans. Uh, so while I'm, they're not my favorite team, uh, you know, I pay a lot of attention to them. And, and that was my big gripe with uh, this kind of process that they uh, have sped up now, I suppose. But uh, this process that they underwent was, you know, when, when you go out of your way to trade guys like Zach Gallen, um, who, you know, is just proving to be an absolute machine this year. Um, and, and I thank God every day that he is no longer a Marlin because that would make it pretty hellish for the Phillies. Um, you know, a, a rotation of, of Gallen, Alcantara, uh, Sixto, Pablo Lopez, you know, that would be crazy. Um, but, you know, it, that's kind of the the vice of these rebuilds. And I meant to mention the Nick Anderson trade as well. I mean, you give up someone who is widely considered one of the best relief arms in baseball uh, for Jesus Sanchez. Granted, you know, you get a top 100 prospect out of it, but you really never know with these guys. Uh, and the Phillies have had that happen to them many times. And I'm not saying, you know, Lewin Diaz is a bust or Jesus Sanchez is a bust or anything like that. I think those guys are chock full of pretty immense potential. Um, but, you know, that's always the risk that you run when, when you trade these, you know, really good major leaguers for, you know, every prospect, I guess, in a sense of the lottery ticket. And that's it. Some are more proven than others, but it's really, really hard to discern which ones are sure things. Uh, and that's what makes baseball such a, uh, a lovely sport, I suppose, is that, you know, it's it's so hard to predict anything. Uh, you know, who thought the Marlins would be 19 and 18 at this point of the season? I'm sure not a lot of Marlins fans did. Well, <laughs> but, I mean, you know, here I, we are. <laughs> myself, like front and center, I, I absolutely could not believe it. I mean, every step of the way, I've been – I've been surprised that, that it keeps going. Uh, ever since they got off, every step of the yeah, every step of the way, I've been doubting them, and I'm someone that follows it really closely. And you know, there's a lot of things I admire about the process, but yeah, it's been it's been a big surprise. Um, and of course, one of the reasons why they're in this position is they're starting pitching, and especially Sixto Sanchez, who in four major league starts, I think he's pretty clearly established himself as already the ace of their rotation in record time. Um, you you know how teams love to do this, like fiddle with the arbitrary numbers to try to make something seem unprecedented or really special. And like if you pull the numbers a certain way with six, though, uh, 25 strikeouts, two walks, uh, less yep. than five runs allowed in his first four career starts. He's like the only pitcher in the modern era to have a first a start of a career that hits those exact numbers in terms of how he's pounding the zone, how he refuses to walk people and how he's just uh, – preventing runs that the bottom line performance for him so far has been in some way you look at it, it's unprecedented. And just from any neutral observer, uh, you got to be blown away by what he's doing uh, for someone like myself who was following him in double a last year, it basically looks the same. It looks like even though he had to skip triple a, just like these other prospects we mentioned, it has not affected him whatsoever where the hitters are, uh, are just as overwhelmed at the major league level as they were, down there and most recently of course having to go through the Braves the reason why the Marlins got Sixto in the first place was trading JT Real Muto to the Phillies and JT uh, I, I I don't even need you to 
underscore the fact that JT has been everything you probably could have dreamed of as a catcher, uh, undeniably establishing himself as the best catcher in the league for these past two years. And of course, the complication here is that they could be his only two years with the Phillies if they're not able to come to a new agreement with him on a long-term deal. Now with free agency, uh, free agency could only be a couple of months away, a couple of weeks away if the Phillies, for whatever reason, fall short of the postseason. Uh, yeah, I mean, how are you wrestling with that? all the factors going on here with that trade, with getting JT and how much he's meant to the Phillies, and I'm sure uh, how much fun he's been to watch these past couple of years, with the fact that now Sixto is just getting started and dominating right away. And uh, regardless of what the Marlins do, even if uh, Marlins do – for all the unconventional things that the Marlins do, it's a pretty safe bet that Sixto is going to be in the division for another handful of years. Like, so how do you square away those mixed emotions? Yeah. I mean, I can't lie to you. Uh, <laughs> I was not someone who was exactly thrilled uh, when the Phillies decided to trade Sixto. Uh, I've been a big Sixto fan for a long time. Very, very long time. Uh, it almost shocks me how, how familiar I am with uh, with Sixto Sanchez. Um, but, you know, when you are making a trade for somebody who is uh, quite obviously the best player at their position, uh, and, you know, last year maybe people tried to argue Yasmani Grandal, obviously not the case this year. I mean, JT is just far and away the, 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 the best catcher in baseball. It, that's just who he is. Um, you should expect to part with something pretty significant for that. And I didn't think that, and I mean, even, you know, Craig Mish was surprised uh, that, you know, the Phillies were in play at all um, when that trade was, was going on. You know, he did his little percentile breakdowns of who's the likeliest to get JT Real Muto, and the Phillies weren't even on it until the day that it happened. And right. part of that is because they're maybe the Reds, maybe the Dodgers at a certain the Braves, point. Yeah. The Braves, yeah. Yeah, Braves were one that seems like a favorite at one point, and I mean, yep. it felt like such a huge triumph for the Phillies to be able to wrestle him away from those teams that they were competing. I completely with. agree. But that's the thing. <laughs> they had to wrestle him away by giving up Sixto. And I, I know why they did it. Uh, there are many people across the league who fear that Sixto is just a walking case of Tommy John surgery. And I'm going to knock on wood right now because I love watching him pitch more than anything in the whole entire world. Um, but Many evaluators, including many within the Phillies organization, just thought that, you know, he pitches with a lot of uh, oomph, I'll call it. And, uh, you know, you can see that in his, his leg kick when he, you know, in his, in his follow through. He, he really pit, he, he puts everything he's got into it. Um, and I think that's great. I love that. Uh, but it's not viewed as the most healthy. His mechanics aren't viewed as the most healthy, uh, sustainable mechanics. And, and so I understand why they wanted to trade him to receive, you know, such a big prize in JT. That said, what you're seeing with Sixto now is exactly what everybody was talking about when Sixto was, you know, a top 20 prospect in baseball. He is a guy with just absolutely remarkable stuff, and he commands it with the best of them. I mean, he is through and through. You know, a, a a guy that can touch triple digits, a guy that can wipe you out with any pitch he wants to, especially a changeup, which makes him effective against lefties and righties alike. I mean, he is the full package. He is mini Pedro. That is who he was, you know, 
that's what they dubbed him when he was in the Phillies organization. But a lot of people were perhaps over-concerned with his ability to stay healthy. Um, and so that resulted in, you know, him getting dealt. If he wasn't going to get dealt, I'll let you in on a bit of insider info here. Uh, if he wasn't going to get dealt for the Marlins for JT, he was getting dealt to the Mariners for Edwin Diaz. And mm-hmm. uh, as thrilled as I am that that didn't happen, uh, you know, they really were, in a sense, kind of shopping him uh, because they, they were kind of worried about his uh, his health. And his numbers did take a bit of a dip, I remember, when they, when they first traded him to the Marlins. But now, I mean, it's no problem at all. He is in the major leagues. He has, you know, I – I always viewed him as a guy that he could probably have jumped from high A into the majors because he just, he has the command down. He has the stuff, obviously. Um, He's got the velocity. He's, you know, got the composure. He's got the 45 tattoo on his, uh, on his collarbone. I -hmm. mean, he's got everything to be the makings of, you know, Pedro Martinez. Um, But, you know, I, I understand why they did it. And I understand, you know, why JT was the guy that they decided to trade him for because JT has just been incredible as a Philly. I mean, he has been remarkable just in terms of working with the pitching staff, uh, in terms of framing defensive, uh, you know, being, being the best defensive catcher in baseball far and away. I don't think there's anybody even close, um, especially when it comes to pop time and, and catching runners. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think it was worth it in the end. I think it definitely was worth it. Now I will change that tune if they don't re-sign JT. But I am somebody who, you know, since the beginning I I have said, and I, I maintain this, uh, even though it's, you know, the clock is ticking, uh, I think he will be a Philly, you know, for at least past some amount of time past this year. Um, and I say that because, you know, I don't think uh, there's any way for, for this front office to avoid it, if I'm completely honest. They have Jake Arrieta's contract coming off the books, so obviously they had the money, you know, in the plan. They have, you know, $25 million in, in terms of AAV uh, coming off the books. So they, they obviously have, you know, the means to, to lock him up for what I would assume his annual average value is going to be, uh, which, you know, many people across the league uh, suspect it's going to be somewhere in the $25 million range. Uh, and I completely agree with that. I think he's totally worth it. Uh, even if you are paying an aging catcher, you know, he is a guy that you can really count on to stick at that position. Uh, and he's got a bat that I think bodes well to to, to mature. Um, I don't think the speed will stay as he gets older, but, you know, who cares? He is really, really good. Um, so I think ultimately uh, he will be a Philly long term. I just I believe that uh, and I, I couldn't really tell you, uh, you know, why he wouldn't uh, want to test free agency. Although I guess, you know, heading into this year, free agency, who the heck knows what's going to happen. I don't even know if any team is going to be willing to spend much money. Uh, Even the Yankees, even the, I mean, we just saw the Yankees just furloughed, you know, a ton of their development and scouting staff. Yeah. This is truly, and I effing hate this word, but it is an unprecedented time even in our sports, even in, you know, the biggest businesses in the world. It is just a crazy, crazy time financially. Um, and that's just, you know, something we're going to have to cope with in this next year, I suppose. But 
anyway, that is my long-winded way of saying I do think that the Phillies will lock JT up. Regardless of whether or not he hits free agency, I think they will be willing to match whatever any other team is willing to offer, or that is my hope at least. And while I'm privy to, you know, insider information, the, the, the team is airtight. I mean, the Phillies are known for being just the most airtight organization in this game. No rumors ever come out about anything unless it's like the day of, um, you know, it, it, they're an unpredictable, uh, very quiet source of information. So, uh, you know, I I think he does end up being locked up, but the price that they had to pay is obviously coming to bite them in the butt now. I mean, Sixto looks, he looks every bit the pitcher that I spent hours and hours and hours obsessing over, you know, back in 2012, 13, 14. Um, or I guess it was 2013, 14, 15. Um, yeah, he's he's not anyway, that old. He's uh, only 22, he's, right? No, he's not. Yeah. <laughs> but, well... Yeah, so six years ago, what is that? 2014, yeah. So, right. um, you know, I, he is just, uh, you know, he's a, he's a talented kid. He really is. And uh, it sucks that we had to uh, to deal him, but I suppose we will see what comes of him in the next few years. I, I think it's teams are going to attempt to figure him out, but really how do you figure out a guy that throws a 101-mile-an-hour fastball and a – 93, 94 mile an hour changeup that just ride in on your hands and jam you every time. Uh, and you're either, you know, you're squibbing it off the bat or you're just missing it completely. So, you know, I'm happy that he has found a place where he can develop and he can be a star because uh, he always has been. The only question was whether or not he'll stay healthy. And I knock on wood a million thousand times over uh, that that remains the case. So, I'm glad to see him succeed overall. Yeah, well, we're all in for a treat during this series. We should get to see him. I, I guess he lines, up, <laughs> he lines up on one of the Sunday doubleheader games to start one half of that. And I mean, the most Probably. amazing thing, what I love so much about him is how efficient he is with his pitches. Like, it's a seven inning game. He, he's got a good shot to pitch a complete game in any seven inning game, even on his oh, worst yeah. days. Even on his worst days, he's a guy that, because it's, it's just so. The fact that he could throw strikes with like any of his pitches and the weak, it's he really is the complete package. Uh, he's not perfect, and I, I don't want to overreact too much about him, even as someone that um, I had to fight back some people here over the past year people that were skeptical about whether he was really the best prospect that the Marlins had um, because uh, concerns not only about the throwing motion, but his conditioning in general. He's a guy that reported to spring training. A, a listed at 234 pounds when you're only six foot even this year yeah this year whoa this year. i didn't know and, that and during the covid shutdown i mean give him credit during the covid shutdown he shed about 10 to 12 pounds a little bit yeah he looks really um, good he looks he looks better now but he was a guy that was invited to major league spring training as you would expect he did not pitch in any grapefruit league games because they were not satisfied with his conditioning it wasn't even about hmm. a a durability concern per se was they thought it might be a, a discipline issue with him. And there was, yeah, there was questions about when exactly he'd be called up the Marlins. Of course, when they, the COVID outbreak hit their team, three of their starting pitchers in the rotation went out and yet he was not a consideration to be called up immediately at that point, a month ago, it took several more weeks for these fill in guys to have mixed results to struggle to give them length. It, it took a while. It took a lot of convincing for the team to actually, 
call him up. Uh, just what August twenty second was his debut, and uh, I mean he's to his credit, he's he's really proven everybody uh, any of the skeptics that were, were about him. He's a uh, it's been a very convincing start to his career. It doesn't it doesn't guarantee anything, of course. We know how volatile these guys are, but yeah, it's been a dream start to his career. Should be seeing him on Sunday, and then a couple more times before the end of the year, and. I guess we'll just finish here about if you have any specific prediction for this series, trying to balance your heart, but also, um, I mean, as someone that has followed the Marlins pretty closely from afar, as you admit to doing, and of course, knowing everything about the Phillies in this seven game series, uh, how many do you think the Phillies pull out of this? I'll be honest. I can't give you a number because, there really is no way to tell. I mean, at this point, I am pretty convinced that uh, this is a curse laid on the Phillies, uh, that they just can't play well against the Marlins. uh, And I will keep believing that until I'm proven otherwise. Uh, So I can't really give you a specific number. What I will say is that I think this is going to be a series where everyone is going to be firing on all cylinders. Uh, Bryce Harper has been struggling of late. Uh, and that is certainly no secret. He, over the last 16 games, is uh, in, a, in, a, in a pretty big slump. Last night, he hit two balls that just should have gone way out of the park. I mean, they should have been way gone. Um, but, you know, they were, they were both barreled, um, and they both traveled very far, uh, but they were both unfortunate outs. Uh, and, you know, they're your everyday you know, expected batting average was astronomical and it was a barrel and it should just split the gap somehow, but it didn't. Um, and the other one was just a dead center. I mean, 407 foot fly out, which is unfortunate. Um, but, you know, uh, I think he is on the verge of really getting hot. Uh, and I think the same for JT. JT has really started putting some really good at-bats together. Um, and he's, he's hitting the ball a lot more than he was over these last few weeks. Uh, and he, you know, just notched his first home run in a while uh, the other day. So he's also getting kind of back on his horse. Uh, Reese Hoskins is on fire. Uh, I don't expect that to slow down in this series, but who knows? Um, so I think he's going to be a really big, uh, you know, bat for the Phillies in this one. Uh, Didi Gregorius just has been excellent this whole year. Uh, I don't expect that to stop. Gene Segura is really heating up. Gene Segura has arguably been one of the best hitters on the team in the last, you know, one or two weeks, you know, given how hot Hoskins has been, obviously he is, uh, he takes that first spot, but Gene Segura has, has definitely been up there. Uh, you know, Alec Bohm is Alec Bohm. Uh, I think, you know, I, if I'm looking at the Marlins rotation in my head, I don't think, is there a lefty? Well, yeah, let me give it to you. It's, um, the, Pablo they, Lopez. They might not use a lefty. There's Trevor Rogers. Trevor Rogers is a rookie. Right. Rogers. 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 He's been, he's been Um, very good. His first, uh, three starts. If I'm, let's, let's, let's test my Marlins knowledge here. It'll be, I don't know who will go in what order, but it's going to be probably Lopez six. So Alcantara, uh, Urania is going to get a start somewhere. It's my Um, podcast. Let me, let me give our fans a rotation order. I think it Give it to me. Yeah, first game on Thursday, it's going to be Arietta versus Alcantara. Then right. on well, Friday's doubleheader, it's basically eight guys for seven spots, it looks like, the way that they're lined up. Trevor Rogers will go one of the games on Friday, but it could also be 
that second game could be either Jer- Jordan Yamamoto, who they just called up, or right. could finally, um, or they could go to one of the spot starters they used early in the year, like uh, Daniel Castano. They could bring him back up from the alternate side for the second game uh, on Saturday. Let's see, Saturday it would have to be um, Saturday would be Jose Ureña. Jose Ureña just making right. his his second start of the season coming back from. Yeah, he, he had a good start against the Braves. Yeah, it was it was interesting. Some fireworks in there. <laughs> I love when he plays the Braves. Yeah. Then then on Sunday we're gonna have six to one of those games, and then the other one would either be uh, Jordan Yamamoto is also an option for that if he's not just laying in the bullpen, and then the. The wild card for Sunday would also be calling up Nick Neidert. Nick Neidert, who I was very high on yeah. year, but he suffered from COVID. He hasn't been on the active roster for, what, six weeks now. But he is, uh, according to what we've seen from him, some glimpses of him at the alternate training site, he is getting stretched out again. And especially for just a seven-inning game, he'd be a, a perfectly decent starting option as long as they can find room for him on the 40-man and the active roster. Because right now he's not on either right now it's a, it's a big mess in that regard but i i think he's a sleeper to actually make the second game on uh, on sunday along with six though and then on monday would be pablo pablo would be pablo pitching. starts today right yeah pablo on wednesday wednesday and then five days later on monday which is a series finale got it so i like i said can't give you a number but that means that as far as I'm concerned, aside from Rogers, uh, no lefties in the lineup. So you probably won't see uh, Phil Goslin as much. Phil Goslin is really good, um, or has been really good this year. Um, so you probably won't see as much of, of him. Uh, the Marlins will likely be lucky to miss Jay Bruce. Uh, he's still on the IL uh, with a quad injury, uh, something that just keeps coming up, uh, which is concerning. Um, but he has been, you know, absolutely excellent for the Phillies this year and was last year. I mean, he has an insane home run per at-bat rate uh, somewhere in the 12s, which is just crazy as a Philly, that is. Um, so you'll probably miss him as well. Uh, but in terms of, you know, overall lineup, I think the Phillies are going to have the edge there. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm – no fortune teller. I can't really uh, exactly tell you that, you know, Miguel Rojas isn't going to absolutely torch the Phillies again. Um, but I do think the Phillies get get the edge in terms of lineup. Uh, mm-hmm. As for pitching, I think, you know, as long as uh, Sandy comes out and does what he did against the Phillies, uh, you know, at the beginning of the year, they're going to have no problem winning that one. Uh, but I don't think that'll be the case. I, I think the Phillies will put up a lot more of a fight. Uh, I think what you saw in that first Sandy start against the Phillies was a lot of uh, what we expected from this year, which was pitchers being way ahead of hitters in terms of how ready they are uh, for this season. Um, and, you know, he really, he decimated this lineup. Um, but I think, I think it'll be a lot more competitive uh, this time around. Uh, as for Sixto's start, I think I'm going to give the Phillies the edge on that one, because as good as he's been, first of all, it feels like, he's probably due for a bad game. But second of all, I think the Phillies are going to be really confident going into that because of how thoroughly Sixto was evaluated by this organization before the trade. I mean, for them to come to that decision was tough. 
Um, and I think they, they know a lot about, uh, you know, the, the machinations of his mechanics and they know a lot about, uh, you know, what makes him tick. And mm-hmm. so I think maybe, maybe the Phillies have a little bit of a, of a hedge there as well. Uh, as for Pablo, I think Pablo is so good. I think his changeup is just absolutely awesome to watch. Um, so I think the, the Marlins have a, have a pretty good shot in his start. Um, you know, when it comes to the double headers, I think they'll both be splits probably um, just because the Phillies, uh, somebody tweeted out yesterday. I can't quite recall who it was. But the Phillies have not swept a double header in like eight years <laughs> and they are 0, 11 and eight. So they've, they've split to been swept in 11 wow. and then have uh, swept none. So, the confidence that I have in the Phillies in double headers is not high. Uh, so I'm pretty sure they'll split both of them. Uh, if not, the Marlins probably have a better chance to sweep one of them. Um, but I, I think it really is just a huge toss up in this one. I think it just depends on which team is the hotter, uh, you know, and, and which guys really outperform the other. Uh, I, I think it's going to be really crazy. Um, but it's going to be a really, really fun, again, unprecedented series. We've never seen such a close race um, and then such a decisive seven-game or span of, of, of games to uh, to really put this one in cement. So I, I'm really excited. I can't wait to interact with you both on, on the good fight and uh, on our personal accounts. And it's going to be fun. I I am nervous as all heck as a as a Philly fan but I am very excited for as as a baseball fan I think it's going to be much watch, must watch TV the MPCS Marlins Phillies Championship <laughs> Thursday to Monday at Marlins Park in Miami this is Alex Carr with a fantastic insight you can follow him on Twitter at Alex Carr MLB that's two R's Alex Carr MLB you guys know where to find me already at Fish Stripes and at Real Eli with a Y and uh, we went about twice as long as I was planning to, but it was well worth I it. I told you we could do it. Yeah. <laughs> we on everything. And it's, uh, it's going to be a huge, huge series. I guess it, it could be a little anticlimactic if both these teams still make the playoffs anyway, but there's there's a good chance that if, if one of these teams does dominate the series one way or another, it, it really does put the other one in, in um, desperation mode down the stretch the rest of the way. Yeah. Uh, only going to be two weeks left of, of the season after the series is over. And as I already said on the top of the pod, this is the last, this is the beginning of the last homestands that the Marlins play during this regular season. It flew by in a hurry. Marlins have been really bad at Marlins park this year, but it's been extremely small sample size. So hopefully that turns around a little bit. Uh, thank you so much, Alex. And uh, yeah, we're going to be glued to this one every moment, seven games in five days. And uh for everybody else, yeah, just follow us on Fish Stripes. And, of course, go to The Good Fight as well, where they just have amazing detailed coverage of everything going on with the Phillies. Thanks a lot, Alex. Eli, anytime. Thanks for having me. Go Fish. <laughs>